Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hello and welcome to today's show. It's a Canberra first today. We're sitting down and having a chat with Michelle Melbourne. She's the co-founder and exec director at Intellidox, a Canberra-based global software vendor that enables the digitalization of complex business processes. Michelle has worked on innovative technology transformation projects in countries all around the world. As well as co-founding Intellidox, Michelle started a highly successful technology, communications, and logistics company in 1998 called The Communication Link, working on behalf of corporate and government VIPs from all around the world. This included arranging official government visits to Australia by Madeleine Albright, the U.S. Secretary of State, and William Cohen, U.S. Secretary of Defence, and the management of various Sydney Olympic and Paralympic projects. Michelle is a past winner in the Telstra and ACT governments, Businesswoman of the Year Awards, and her business Intellidox is a multiple winner in the Telstra Business Awards in the Australian Exporter of the Year Awards in both the Deloitte Fast 100 and BRW's Fast 100 list, and in the Anthill Cool Company Awards. So it's a heap of stuff in the trophy cabinet there. She holds a Bachelor of Science from the Australian National University and is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. She holds the position of Deputy Chair at the Canberra Institute of Technology, is a Director of the ACT Brumbies, is an Advisory Board Member at the Royal Australian Mint, and just if you thought that she's not busy enough, she also plays a bit of hockey in the Senior Women's Hockey League here in Canberra, is a regular at the Masters Hockey Tournaments. So, huge intro, and rightly so. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Michelle Melbourne. Michelle Melbourne, welcome to The Mentor List. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks for having me. Right. No, no problem. So, yeah, there's been a few channels that have sort of requested to get you on the show. So, yeah, really excited to have a chat today. And my first question, just for the listeners' benefit who sort of may not know about you as yet, if you just want to tell the listeners about your story. Okay, well, where do I start? So, I'm a Canberra girl, born and bred, and my husband and I, for the last 26 years, have been building our global software technology company out of our nation's capital. So, gosh, other than that, it's a really long story, but we export a software platform called Infinity to just about every country in the world. And that platform is being used to enable large and complex organizations to drive innovation inside their own organizations. So, it's a classic, what we call digital disruption. We've been doing it for 26 years. It's nothing new to us. And I got my start because of my dad. So it was one of those sliding doors moments that I was heading off to university to study a science degree at the Australian National University here in Canberra. And if you know me, it's a really obvious degree for me to study because my friends call me Michelle of a million questions and I'm intensely curious about everything. So a science degree is the right thing to do. And my dad said to me, said, oh, hey, Shelley. You know, when you're choosing your subjects, you should do some computing in your degree because it might come in handy one day. And this was in 1987 when I was 18 and going to university. And this was 
free windows. This was the heady days of the PC desktop revolution. There were a few families that could afford a computer in their home, but most hadn't gone out and got one yet. And it was my dad that put that idea in my head that, you know, technology is going to come in handy one day. And that's literally what he said to me. So there I was in first year computer science AO1 with all these supersonic smart people. And there was me trying to keep up. So <laughs> that's, that's how I got my start. <laughs> wow. And so was this your dad just sort of having it, it? Did he work in computers or is it just sort of, oh, that looks like something that might pick up or take off one day? Is Was that the thinking? Yeah. Well, look, that's the right question. So my dad was actually a surveyor. So he was very heavily involved in mapping. And of course, they would use computers or computing power, they used to call it then. And he'd always used computers. So as a kid, I used to write, you know, I used to draw pictures on the back of the punch cards that came home as scrap paper with my dad. So he was a pioneer in that industry as a user himself. So he had a need for computing power, for for mapping and things like that. So he definitely had a sense of what the world was going to do and need. Yeah. Yeah, great. So how did you find that? So sort of going back from 87 and then you've started Intellidox and the whole, well, you've had a whole lot, list of other roles sort of within that IT and training and a lot of board positions. And I mean, yeah, my, so my original question was going to be, so how did you find it being a woman in, I guess, that space, which was it a dominated yeah. space by the blokes? Oh, absolutely. Of course. It certainly is now and it certainly was more so back then. And look, I get asked this question a lot about, you know, being a woman in a male-dominated industry. And I have to say to you that I have never, ever been subject to any scrutiny or any discrimination based on my gender. The software industry and the technology industry, these people are my tribe and I love them and they need me, primarily made up of introverted, highly intelligent Young men, I'm generalising, of course, but yeah. but certainly been my experience. And I have had an absolute blast being a woman in a male-dominated industry. Is it an advantage? I, they've been very good to me. I think so. I think it's nuanced and it's really subtle. But I but I want to say to you that I have never felt like I've been treated in any way, in particular, for better or for worse, because of my gender. I'm very fortunate that that's been my journey. I know that's not the journey for a lot of other people. So I thank I thank the men of the information <laughs> technology industry for, for lifting me up and helping me. Yeah, great. Um, very fortunate. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. So I've never seen that I've had to overcome any issues or anything like that. I've been very lucky. Yeah, because you're certainly sort of promoted in that channel around you know women in technology and and that's sort of how I sort of initially got sort of wind of of who you were and what you were about. Yeah. Okay. So my next question was just around, so you mentioned digital transformation or disruption. I just wanted to ask you around the social impact of digital transformation and sort of what your thoughts were on on social impact. Yeah. Well, that's another great question. You're very insightful there. In fact, you know, corporations and large and complex organizations are generally the ones that pioneer new technology because they can afford it or because they have to do it. Yeah, there's some kind of economic driver or a, a regulation or a compliance reason why they've, you know, they've got to introduce a new piece of technology. They've got to do something smart. 
And for years and years and years, we've serviced those large and complex organisations who can afford to pay for to pioneer technology. And it was probably about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago where I turned around and said to my husband, who's also my business partner, that, man, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could point this technology in the direction that is going to, to make a difference? in a social context, in the greater good. And, you know, we've been donating our technology to a range of really great causes over many years to help underfunded or unfunded not-for-profit organisations to achieve true digital transformation. And it gives us great pleasure to, you know, to be able to contribute technology to a philanthropy ecosystem. So instead of writing a cheque, we donate our technology to help an organisation to be even more efficient or, or reach more people in the community. I mean, you have to understand what our technology does. It's quite kind of nerdy and you know, very, very fundamental process automation. Yeah. Can you give us the layman's elevator pitch or yeah, like sure. how would I understand what it is sure. that sort of IntelliDocs does? I mean, I know there's many facets. Yeah, but... yeah it's a good question. So we're helping, let's call it a, a government agency, to automate the application process. So instead of you having to go somewhere physically, get a form and fill in a complex form that's a hard copy of a form, we're actually helping that organisation to apply an intelligent online interview to the applicant and that that interview is intelligent enough to permeate through a series of compliance and regulatory questions where they're very personalised, they're obviously not asking any questions that are irrelevant and give that applicant a, a very good customer experience. But at the back end, there's a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of decision processing that's happening. So you could apply that this kind of technology to applying for insurance policy and applying for a mortgage or applying for a passport, etc. So if you think about a very intelligent application process where you don't feel like you're filling in a form. And coming back to your original question, it's about doing good with technology. So our intention and we're, we're on this journey is to be able to provide this fantastic technology to organisations who aren't well-funded and who aren't, you know, tier one organisations. But for example, some of the poorest people in the world who give birth to a baby have to walk three days to the nearest village to register the birth of their child. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we could use technology to enable the online registration of a birth of a, of a young person instead of that mother having to walk all that way? So that's the kind of aspiration that, that we have to use this fabulously sophisticated technology platform to help um, yeah, fantastic. Do, do some good in the world. Yeah, what? so that's a good example. And if there's anybody out there that can help us work on that that problem, we'd love to hear from them. Yeah, and no, I could, you know, I could just off the bat, I could list a few government organisations that we'd love to maybe have a more of a streamlined process. And you know, we've got big roads, we've got visa applications. Yes. It's just, oh yes. gosh, just yes. the process is. <laughs> sometimes yep. turns yep. you off yep. doing so that's my, things. That's, that's our world. So we're helping those organisations to make that experience a unified, you know, ask, tell me once, don't ask me that same question again, you already asked me that, and also some predictive analytics and some intelligence in the decision-making so that 
the system can actually make that decision. Yeah, sure. And at the same at the time. Yeah, that's right. And Some that's, people call it artificial intelligence. <laughs> and also robotic. So robotics is a term that's sort of being thrown around in the corporate space mm. at the moment a fair bit too. Is that mm. the new word for sort of what your business yeah. does as well? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, and the answer is it could be. It depends what you think that the robotics is. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're an advanced decision processing algorithm. So there's robotics, which are old clunkers of the 90s that large software vendors have, are calling artificial intelligence, but they're really just old systems. So it's debatable as to what robotics actually means. But in the banking and finance industry, they're calling it a, a decision processing algorithm. So where you actually can embed a rule book or a playbook in an online process and the online experience is the decision maker, is the arbiter of whether you get your insurance policy or get your mortgage or get your passport. So if you want to call that robotics, you can. We call it automation or an algorithm. Yeah, yeah, call it what it is. <laughs> Maybe robotics well, is sort of yeah. it's part of the sales or something. I don't know. It, it definitely is. So yeah. look, I'm quite sceptical of the term robotics because it is a term that the tier one vendors are using at the moment and it's their answer to being in the digital disruption game and not being sidelined because they they sell legacy. Yeah, they sell old, old technology. Yeah, okay. Just before you, you were mentioning, yeah, I guess your target, not target audience, but your sort of, you know, target customers and I just wonder, did that have something to do with being located in Canberra or was that sort of a, a lifestyle decision or? Well, my husband and I were both born and bred in Canberra and so we have this great benefit of living in one of the best cities in the world that that is a lifestyle city. So fantastic access to the outdoors, the mountains and the beach, absolutely no traffic on the way to or from work. A city that's a critical mass where you have all the cultural artistic, you know, food and wonderful things that are going on in this great city and a great place to raise a family and pretty easy to jump on a plane and go to anywhere in the world. Yeah. And I could not imagine living my life in a city where I had to battle traffic or couldn't do six meetings a day on site. So our pedigree has been with servicing federal government clients and Unless you're familiar with Canberra, well, if you're familiar with Canberra, you'll understand what I'm going to say. And if you're not, then listen to what I'm going to say. Yeah. So if you can be a startup technology company and you can survive and thrive in the Canberra market servicing the federal government, then you're running a gold medal race on a global scale and you can take your technology to anywhere in the world because in Canberra, you're competing for blue chip business against the tier one vendors in this market. So for you to be able to build something, it's got to be better than the tier one vendors who have very powerful business development supply chains, very powerful political lobbyists, and you really have to not only have the best product, but you have to have the best value proposition and you have to have the best service. So for us, that's the gold standard for us to cut our teeth, if you like, on the federal government market. And quite frankly, it's been, look, it's not been a walk in the park, but it's actually been a fabulous thing for us to flip 
our technology out into the world and export it. And it's actually easier dealing with the large and complex Tier 1 Fortune 500 organisations on the other side of the world than it is with dealing with the federal government in Canberra. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like we've had, I don't know if, you, if I can use a gym training analogy, it's like we've been resistance training for 20 years and now when we're out in the world, it just seems easy. Yeah, I, I guess just just on that theme of, of <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> so you, yeah, if you make it in Canberra, you can pretty much make it anywhere. Is that what we're yeah 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 <laughs> and yes. just so I'm met, talking about that in the context of our technology, right? I'm not yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. that applies to all, all sectors and all industries. <laughs> yep, of course. And yeah, you mentioned training, and so you know, looking back, I think it's eleven odd years now. You guys have sort of been running, or since you founded Intellidoc. So. How did you sort of, you know, get the right to play in that space? What sort of, how do you sort of get to just finding a, being the founder of a company like Intellidocs? How did you work your way to that? Was it just opportunity or did you, like, talk us through sort of, you know, your career decision there to go out and and try something? Yeah, well, so when I finished uni, I was actually going off to do a master's year in organisational psychology. So when you do a Well, I did a science degree with a double major in psychology and computer science. And for you to actually become a practicing psychologist, you need to do a a professional year, a fourth year, a master's. And that was my path. That's what I had decided I wanted to do. And I was always interested in corporate culture and teams. And that's what I was heading off to do my master's in. And another sliding doors moment was, I think it was the November after final exams, when I finished, I didn't have to start my master's till the next March, following March. Anyway, I got a job with a startup company in Sydney, a startup technology company in Sydney. This is 1980. This is 1990. Got yes, it. What does a startup technology company so look like a then? A startup technology <laughs> company. <laughs> well, it was a corporate training company that was teaching corporations how to take advantage of the Microsoft desktop suite of software. So Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, DOS, I suppose. <laughs> you know, how yep. to copy things onto a floppy disk and take them home. Oh, my God. Like, yep. this is radical. <laughs> radical. I haven't thought about this for a long time. So I just lucked into a job. I had no right to get this job. I got asked at the last minute to apply. Well, I got invited at the last minute to apply. And the boss of this company said, all right, yeah, I'll look at her. And I was late to the process, not late to the meeting, late to the process. And I think I was just really lucky because he'd interviewed a whole lot of people who were perfectly well qualified and suited for the role as technology trainer. He had ex-school principals and, you know, computing teachers and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, experience as an interview and it'd be nice to get the job. I wasn't expecting to, but I did get the job and it was twenty six thousand dollars a year. <laughs> this is in nineteen ninety. Yeah. So, so I mean that's, me, was that a sort of a, a I don't know what the equivalent of yeah, right. was, but it was a lot. <laughs> oh okay, got it. Yep. It was probably two rungs up from a graduate a normal graduate salary. But it was a professional salary. Well, in my eyes, because I'd waitressed through uni, right? And <laughs> I was lucky. I got the job. So my boss at the time took a punt on me. So I was a clean slate. So he must have seen that I had a bit of potential and that he could get me a bit cheaper than the rest of them. So 
<laughs> I was very happy. Win-win. Offered yep. me the job. And, yeah, and look, I think if you interviewed him, he'd say the punt paid off. He's still my friend to this day, by the way. And I only worked for him for a year, but I, I reckon I got about five years of experience in one year. So he threw me so far into the deep end, it wasn't funny. So there I was as 21-year-old, probably not even 21, and he was treating me like a seasoned consultant from Accenture. So I was doing transformation consulting work. So we had large telecommunications company, Tier 1 Bank as our client, and I was working with the executives to work out their transformation strategy. They didn't call them that at the time. They were... They're probably technology-led project name, you know, the yep. implementation of the new whatever system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but it was all about people and change. And so I found that my interest in psychology and my, my study in psychology was really what helped me in my technology career. So understanding how people adapt to change and how people perceive technology as a threat or an opportunity how the executive team deals with the concept of, you know, out with an old system and in with a new system and how that gets communicated to the stakeholders. So I've always had that very deep insight into transformation and how technology can transform an organisation. And I suppose a natural instinct for knowing what to do to ensure a project is very, very successful. So that was the beginning. And once you're good at that, you get a reputation for being good at that. And so it just came to pass that it was much easier for me to be an independent consultant doing that. So I left that startup company with good blessings and went to work in Hong Kong and Singapore. So we're helping an Australian technology company to take advantage of the PC boom and, again, just lifted to gain a global perspective on what I'd learnt in Sydney. And this was 91 and 92. This was pre-Windows in Asia. And, you know, everyone has that perception that Asia's streets ahead of Australia in, in the technology game. And they're just not. They're just not. So yeah. the knowledge that I had was streets ahead of what they had in Hong Kong and Singapore. And so, therefore, there I was finding myself as a 21-year-old expert in the technology game. And <laughs> off I went. Fantastic. <laughs> and so if you fast forward to today, that you know, we've had to reinvent ourselves every six months, every twelve months to stay ahead. And we've just developed our business from those humble beginnings of being experts in in that world of, of yeah. corporate. And is that reinvention software. is that something that's, you know, happening quicker now compared to what it was when you guys started out? Yeah, look, I don't see it that way. I just you know, is the pace any quicker? I'm not sure. I think it's just that it's broadcast more effectively and more efficiently that there's a lot going on and you read about it because back then, you know, people didn't communicate really what they were doing and how they changed things. So I think it's a, I think it's debatable. I mean, everybody says the pace of change is just getting faster, but I don't feel exhausted by it. It's motivating and exciting and I think that in any change, you've got to decide what you're going to leave behind. And that's kind of how we deal with, if you like, the pace of change is, well, you've got to stop doing something before you, you can start doing something. So yeah. that's how we advise our, our clients is that it really is that strategic decision about do you want to change, do you need to change because 
you know, if you don't, then don't. <laughs> yeah. But if you do, let's go. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got a, an enormous <laughs> amount of growth there just being thrown into the deep end, which kind of sparks my curiosity on the... So you've been in many different roles, predominantly Canberra-based around Canberra business. You're on boards, you're on advisory boards, you're chairing boards. I mean, there's yep. a list of sort of about eight sort of titles that you've, you've had on various boards and various roles at that sort of level. Do you want to sort of talk through yeah. sort of how you fell into that and was that another example of this sort of growth? Yeah, yeah. well, I think that you know, when you're dealing with a lot of these large and complex projects on a global scale, you actually develop some really good disciplines around how to effectively run a project and how to bring everyone along, how to make really good decisions about what, what projects you do and how to fund them. And so that translates really nicely and really neatly to company directorship and board governance. So I was fortunate enough to win a scholarship from the ACT government who funded me to attend company director's course in 2006. So yeah. that's 10 years ago now. So, and that was specifically, a, actually, it was specifically a gender-based scholarship. So they were in the early days of trying to get more women on board. So I was definite beneficiary of, of one of those scholarships because I would never have paid seven or eight grand of my own money to do that. Yeah. So it's quite an expensive course and yeah, my husband was very, very supportive of me spending that time. Look, it was hard. You know, you don't just show up and pass. Yeah. Actually hard. <laughs> um, so my brain was stretched and it's a graduate diploma and you know, I was doing some really hard homework. You had to look at a blind balance sheet and a blind P&L, you know, and actually determine what industry and what sector the company was in, what kind of shape it was in. It was fabulous. So it really opened my yeah. mind. I, I got a lot of new skills, so a lot of financial management kind of skills that I probably had a little bit of exposure to, but certainly no expert in it. And so once I passed that and really enjoyed that, I thought, well, I'll be open to going on some boards and as soon as you turn up with an idea and wanting to make a difference people are very happy to welcome you on board as a director so I started off voluntary boards mostly in the not-for-profit sector I started off helping the ACT government allocate grant funding for technology startups so you know like an arm's length advisory board to government where they get a whole lot of applications for money and then you know help helping them assess that on technology and then I got seconded to a community board when the Canberra bushfires happened and that great tragedy and the, there was a, a fund where people from all around the world donated money and that fund had tens of millions of dollars in it so I was seconded to advise the government I'd be part of a committee that advised the government on how to spend that money and that was fabulously interesting experience for me because it wasn't about technology at all. It was about human nature and a tragedy and a disaster and people in need, like people had lost everything. Their houses had burnt down and they'd lost everything and they, and a lot of them had no insurance. So how do you make decisions about who gets help and who doesn't, who gets money and who doesn't? Yeah. So, yeah, it was very, very challenging and very interesting experience as a director there and then so from that you know I, I felt like I had a lot to contribute and got very involved in the Canberra business community so helping Canberra business to thrive 
So being traditionally a government town, it's really important for us, for our private sector to thrive. We're very passionate about that. Lots of really super smart companies in Canberra, I can tell you. Yeah. Bit of a, a renaissance on that. And then my most recent appointment is to the board of the Brumbies. So yeah, I saw that. So there's another completely so removed from out. technology. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> are you going to be, you know, getting all the match stats and putting them into the IntelliDoc <laughs> system and, you know, getting an no, algorithm no, for um, <laughs> how they can get a few more Well, tries. why not? <laughs> like why not? <laughs> well, so I definitely like rugby. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, you know, had enough passion to say yes. But they've asked me because I'm specifically not, you know, one of the, the old guard rugby yep. people. But I have a global business pedigree technology, innovation and governance. So a very, very exciting time for the Brumbies, definitely a, a new era for the club. Yep. And we're looking forward to a, a very big season. So you're a Brumbies fan or are you, are you converted? Yes, okay. Absolutely. Yes. No, no, long-term Brumbies fan. Oh, wow, in okay. Fact, well, yeah, born and bred Canberran, right? But in, in addition to that, when we lived in Hong Kong, we actually played in a social mixed rugby comp with two former Wallabies. And have played touch footy uh, all my adult life. So there is some logic to me being involved in that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What a nice, well, completely opposite to, yeah, maybe the day job and what that's (laughs) incorporating. But then obviously the transferable leadership skills and, yeah. So it's interesting, yeah, how you've sort of transferred into these just completely different sort of opportunities and exposures. It's really interesting. Yeah. 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 So I guess. You've got to be passionate show up you know so yeah absolutely yeah great okay so just yeah looking back on your you know your career before you're you're on the Brumbies board and the Canberra business board as well you know what what advice would you have to your former self when you're sort of coming through (laughs) specifically about board oh well whatever advice you think the listeners might benefit from yeah okay all right well that's a big question Dave Yeah, I think the most important thing is to really have a point of difference. So if you're going to join a board or you're going to get involved in a company or a startup or something like that, that you you really do have to have a unique value proposition. You don't want to be just the same as everybody else and you certainly don't want to think the same as everybody else. So it probably took me a while to figure that out, but I'd always be the kind of person that would ask a million questions. Uh, you know, and I'd keep asking questions until I understood something. So, look, I stand by that at all levels, whether you're starting a business, whether it's a startup, or whether you're taking a new job, or whether you're considering taking a position on a board, you've got to ask yourself that question is, what am I bringing that's different to what everybody else is already bringing and what everybody else is already doing? And be, be ruthless about your analysis of that, because otherwise you're just wasting your time. And also, you really must show up to make a difference. So if it's something you're passionate about, show up and ask your 100 questions and yeah. see what you can do to help. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So and that's just... my advice to my former self is <laughs> ask more questions, not less. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so maybe if you want to talk, you're obviously very skilled in multitasking because I'm not sure the listeners know, but you've just managed to transfer from the office into the car and now you're on your way to your Brumbies meeting. Is there any other habits that you've got? 
that, you know, you think have sort of helped with your success and being able to, I guess, accomplish so much? Yeah, well, I think critically for me is the work-life balance. I have three beautiful daughters and I genuinely four days out of five get home by school, you know, into school. So I like to be home around four o'clock and I continue to be available for everything that's going on in my life at work. But being there for your kids at the, at the end of the day is a critical thing and I, whether you're male or female, it's not something you should miss, those kind of high school years. So I've always, well, I've had to work hard to be disciplined about not missing out on that but, and I'm fortunate that I work in an industry that's 24-7 and, you know, technology-based so I don't actually specifically have to be in an office at a particular point in time. So. Is that luck or good planning? I'm not sure. And the other one is look after yourself. So I play hockey. It's not my work. It's not my husband. It's not my family. It's just hockey. And I go to training and play on the weekend. I travel with the team to Masters tournaments. And it's something that I yearn for and really enjoy. And it's a, a real escape for you know from a, a very intense job, <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to I'm going to the World Masters Games at the end of the month, next month. So that's one in Auckland, which is oh, great. Uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, no, that'd be fantastic. Mm. So yeah, big trip coming up. That sounds good. And just maybe yeah. you mentioned just the husband again. So, I mean, you know, I'm, my, husband, my, yes. my wife and I, we're very selective about what we do and what we don't do together. And I guess starting a <laughs> business and running that... <laughs> <laughs> With your your other half for eleven years, there must be some advice there no, around twenty six years. <laughs> oh wow, twenty six <laughs> okay. years. Okay, there's a treasure trove, of, and it's still going. So, <laughs> I mean, do you have to like segment things away? I mean, you're you're at work, you're at home. You, I imagine, yeah, is there like some structure around that, or yeah, look, no. So the answer is no. It all just blends and. For me, work-life balance is that blend. It never is one or the other. So while I say to you I try to get home at 4 o'clock every day, it is a balance of, you know, you, you need to take a phone call, you need to butter some, you know, toast for afternoon tea. It, it just all happens all together. So I refuse to make a choice between one or the other. It just all blends. So, Sure. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but, no, but yeah, that's the reality does. of it. I think it just seems to be working, um, so don't yeah, keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is absolutely important to turn off from work, but for us, it just keeps everything just keeps going. But it's it's never there's never a crisis of needing to turn off, if that makes sense. So we manage it quite well all the time. Yeah, and for my husband Phil and I. Working together as a, a business partnership and, and a husband and wife, a lot of people say to me, oh, my God, I could never work with my husband. And I probably agree with them. I, I don't know how I could ever work with my husband, but it seems to be going well for the last 26 years. Yep, doing something right. So. We, are, <laughs> we, are, oh, that's great. we are like yin and yang, and we approach problem solving quite differently. We approach everything quite differently. And if you think about what we talked about before with board governance, it's actually fantastic because there's this diversity of problem solving and decision making together. And there's also very deep trust and respect for each other. So, 
you know, can you both be right that have a completely different answer and stuff? Think yes. So how do you pick the the most right or the best right decision? And that's where it comes down to trust and respect. So we navigate that quite well together. And you'll be very pleased to know that it's our 25th wedding anniversary this year. So maybe we should write a book about husbands (laughs) and wives and being being in business together. That's a whole other podcast I (laughs) I think we've got there. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Anyway, you might have to ask him. It'd be interesting to ask him what he thinks about working with me. Yeah. <laughs> Might be another episode. Okay, great. Yeah, I just wanted to know if you had a quote. I know you're sort of driving in the car now, but so you'll have to recall it. But yeah, if there was a quote that you wanted to share with the listeners. Yeah. Well, in the context of, of starting a technology company that's had to reinvent itself 26 times over the last 26 years, I think that if you are a pioneering startup kind of person, then you need to be very comfortable with uncertainty and you'll go a long way if you can deal with things that you can't see or count in the future, but you know where you trust and believe in your ability and your team's ability, then you need to get very comfortable with uncertainty. And if you can do that, you'll be successful in business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially if, I mean, the technology industries, you know, in particular reinvent itself, like look back a couple of years, the technology we've got today, you wouldn't even dream of having. So yeah, yes, it just moves. That's so right. Yeah. So you've got it. That's exactly what I meant is being successful in the technology industry or any fast moving industry is that you have to be, un- you have to be very comfortable with uncertainty. And if you have a team, You've got to know that they can fly to the moon and back. doesn't matter what challenge they get given, they'll get you there and they'll get you back. And that's what we're very fortunate to have at IntelliDocs. My guys could build a rocket and fly to the moon and back. So whatever assignment gets thrown at them, that's what I love, the joy of seeing them work together as a team to solve a problem for one of our clients or to deliver something that was a wicked problem for our clients. It's magic. I mean, it sounds a bit nerdy, really, doesn't it? But, you know, we're... we're sounds we're, like, we deliver a, this well, Richard Branson made it work, so it could be a good side project <laughs> for the guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so just, Richard, you know, in the early days, in the early days, I, I read a lot of Branson, and he's very inspiring in his early writing. And the other person I read a lot of is Jim Collins. Right, okay. Uh, and it, was was there wrote, a book that wrote, you, Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, he wrote Good to Great. Yes. He wrote Good to Great and Built to Last and I've been fortunate enough to see him speak live in Australia and it was like my Bon Jovi moment. <laughs> I was there in the third row trying to figure out how I could get up to the front row and Jim Collins, so for anybody <laughs> who, who's interested in, in leadership or business success, you must read his books. He's, he's yeah, my guru. Great. No, I'll, I'll be sure to link link to that. So good to great. I've I've read that myself, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's been around for a while, but it's still just such a great book. I think even more so. Yeah. Now, he's a leadership scientist. Is probably the way I would describe him. Got it. And if you think back to what I said was my academicity, you know, what I wanted to go and study in my master's degree was leadership, culture, teams what made great, great companies. So it's natural that he'd be my guru. I had the opportunity to do a, a week 
month-long retreat with him last year and unfortunately the dates didn't work for me so I hope that that opportunity comes around again for me. Yeah, I know, it sounds like, yeah, that would have been, what did you yeah. call it before? <laughs> you like the groupie at, at his, his event that was, yeah, yeah that would be fantastic. <laughs> That's me in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hopefully it comes back out or, or, yeah, holds that again. But, yeah, I'll be sure to sort of link to yeah. those books and, yeah, if any of the listeners sort of want to jump online and check them out. But if they're also um, sort of listening in and they want to maybe find out some more about you or about IntelliDocs, how would they go about uh, that? Wow, okay. So you can follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. So Shelly Melbourne is my handle. That's C-H-E-L-L-E Melbourne, not the same as the city. And for information about our, our company, IntelliDocs, or our platform, Infinity, go to IntelliDocs, that's I-N-T-E-L-L-E-D-O-X.com. Great. And yeah. I'll be, yeah, I'll track those links up on the mentalist.com.au website as well for those that are interested in jumping on. Yeah, well, I think you're probably almost at the Brumbies. Is it the headquarters or where do you have to go for your board meeting? <laughs> yeah. is, it yeah. the, is it the field? Yeah. Are you at the grounds? Yeah, or? yeah, it's the Brumbies headquarters, which is on the campus of the fantastic University of Canberra. So there's a great alliance and partnership between the university and the rugby team, which is wonderful on many, many, many levels. So from an innovation and academic perspective, a lot of the, the students get interning opportunities with sports science and performance science, media, communication, etc. So that's fabulous. And gosh, how cool would it be to be a student at the University of Canberra and just in one of their lectures off go and watch the Brumbies train? <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a nice study break. It sounds like a good study break. Yeah. It sounds like a great study, Brad, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, yeah, well, we'll let you go. And, yeah, good luck at the at the meeting. And thanks very much for, yeah, tuning in. And for those listening in, tune in again next week for another great show. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to take just a few seconds to leave a rating and comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.